morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us this morning here at Lighthouse Discipleship Center. My name is Dave Everett, and we're going to be continuing our teaching this morning on being established in His Righteousness. And this will be part seven of our eight-part series, and so we'll talk more about that in just a moment. Just so you know, all of our teachings are archived on our, our website at lighthousediscipleship.org, as well as our YouTube channel, Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And we also want to say thank you to those who have partnered with us with their tithes and their offerings. And just so you know, you can do so by going simply going to our website at lighthousediscipleship.org, going to our give page, and you can give from anywhere from all over the world. If you'd rather send us a check, you can make your checks payable to Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And on the bottom of the footer of every page on our website, you will find our mailing address, and you can send it that way. If you're in the United States, uh, just so you know, your tax donations are tax deductible. We are a 501c3 church. And so, anyway. Uh, so, without further ado, I'm, I don't have a really a lot of announcements. I will say this uh, that we have our Christmas service will be on December 26th, the day after Christmas. And so, we will be uh, teaching on uh, establishing his righteousness this week. And then we'll be doing it again next week before we will be concluding the series. And then we'll have our Christmas service on the 26th. That will be our last service for the 2021 year. And then we will uh, uh, start the new year uh, with a new teaching series in January. So anyway, uh, that's just kind of the itinerary for our teaching schedule here on Sunday mornings, whatnot. So anyway, without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and jump right into our message this morning. I have uh, a lot to cover. Uh, and at uh, point in time, uh, we'll uh, anyway, uh, we're just going to go ahead and jump right in. We're talking about being established in His righteousness. Now, the subject is righteousness, but the key element to the title is that we are established in it. It's one thing to know it, and it's another thing to be established in it. Okay, and so let me just recap the last six lessons real quick. Now, the first lesson was, I entitled The Unity of the Faith, and we talked about this a little bit more last week, but... The unity of faith is, you know, Paul, Paul talks about there's one message. And not, not just Paul, but all scripture. The, the, <coughs> excuse me. The writer of Hebrews talks about there, there's one message that we're supposed to be preaching and teaching. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel, according to Paul in Romans chapter 1, reveals the righteousness of God. And so if you don't understand righteousness, you don't understand the gospel. And if you don't understand the gospel, you won't understand righteousness. And you can't be established in something you don't understand. And so we're supposed to preach one message. Are there other things we can talk about? Yes. But righteousness is the foundation of his throne. Righteousness is the elementary teachings, according to the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 5. And so we need, we, we need to be established in the, on the foundation. The foundation to any building, the foundation to any marriage, the foundation to any relationship, the foundation to any... Uh, business or organization uh, is important. If the foundation is bad, the organization or the, the relationship uh, will be bad. And so the, the foundation is crucial. And once you have a good foundation, you can build on that. But you, if, you, if the foundation is wrong, whatever, yes, we can teach about other things, but if we don't understand righteousness, Usually the case will be that the foundation's wrong. Everything else we teach will have an element of wrongness in it. Because the foundation's wrong. Okay? And if the foundation's wrong, then everything we build on that thing can be wrong or misconstrued. 
And so that may not be our intention. I'm going to deal with that just in a, in a few moments this morning. But that, that, that might be the result. Okay. And then our lesson two was talking about establishing righteousness. Now, this is the same title of our entire teaching, but we, we zeroed in a little bit more on what righteousness is. Righteousness is a noun. It's not a verb. It's, the word is used over 500 times in Scripture. And it's about our relationship with God. It's about being in the right relationship with God. It's not what we do. It's who we are in Christ. And we need to be established in that. Lesson three, we talked about being established in his love. He is a propitiation of our sins. And we need to be established in righteousness, but we also need to be established in love. Now, I have a whole teaching on this, this lesson right here. I have whole eight lessons that I talk about being established in his love. And I kind of summarize that in one lesson here in the midst of talking about being established in righteousness. Because he's a propitiation of our sins. That, <coughs> that propitiation basically describes our righteousness. And Paul, John, the book of John, 1 John 4, chapter 4, verse 10, he says, this is love, not that we love him, but that he loved us and became the propitiation for our sins. Paul talked about this also in Romans chapter 3, where we spend a lot of time on. And we'll be spending more time on Romans chapter 3 next week as we conclude the series. But... We need to be established in his love. It's not so important that you love him. I'm not saying that we shouldn't love him. It's more important that you know that he loves you. Okay? And so if you're going to focus on one thing, focus on knowing that he loves you. Because you can't love him, you can't love yourself, and you can't love others the, the way you should if you don't know that he loves you. Okay? And so you can't walk this walk called Christianity if you don't know that he loves you. And if you do know that he loves you, you will almost automatically love him, love one another, and love yourself the way you should. <clears throat> because we love because he first loved us. First John 4, 19. Okay? And, so, and then we went to, because all this is true that we talked about in the first three lessons, we, there's something that we need to behold. There's something that we need to see with the mind. There's something that we need to see and look and listen to. There's something that we need to behold, and we're going to actually uh, piggyback on some of these things this morning, on, on our teachings this morning, okay? But there's something that we need to focus on. There's something that we need to perceive. There's something that we need to be established in, that we see, that, that our gaze, our focus is on, that we are the righteous of God in Christ Jesus, that we are born again, that we are a child of God, that we are a new creation in Christ. There's something that we need to behold. Because righteousness is true, because he loved us and, be, and became our propitiation, because there's one message that we need to listen to, there's something that we need to be behold. Our focus, our perception, our understanding, our uh, identity needs to be established in who we are. And that's what we need to see. It's not uh, beholding something. It's not just a, 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 a glance. It's something that we are focused on. We know you know, when my wife and I got married, it took a little while at the very beginning. <coughs> we knew we were married. We were excited that we were married. But sometimes, I think it might be a little more challenging for my wife, but her name changed. Okay? And we knew we were married, but we were living independently, more independently before we were married. Uh, but we, when we came together, we had to behold, we're no longer just ourselves anymore. We are now one flesh. We now have to make decisions together. I got to tell her when I'm going somewhere. I got to tell her when I'm coming back. You know, and not that we didn't do that, not that we didn't want to do that, but we had to sometimes 
retrain our thinking, our perception of knowing that we are not just, we're not single anymore. We're married. And so there was a, you know, and I, I've gotten this uh, 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 for jobs at times. I mean, I had one job at one place, but now I have a job at another place, and I got to stop thinking like an employee at the other place. I got to start thinking like an employee at the new place because I'm no longer employed there. I'm now employed here. And sometimes I had to change my way of thinking. I had to change my identity when someone says, hi, I introduce myself. And one of the first questions that come up when you introduce yourself to someone, what do you do? Well, I'll no longer do that. I do this. So I don't even need to introduce myself about this. I introduce myself what I do here. We are born again. We are a child of God. We are the righteous God. We need, there's something that we need to behold. We are no longer a sinner. We are born again. We are the righteousness of God. And so we need to act like, not only do we need to act like that, we need to see ourselves that way. If you don't see yourselves like that way, you will not act like that. Okay? How you act should be automatic. It should be the byproduct. It should be the fruit of who you are. But if you don't even, if the only time you, you recognize this is on Sunday or Christmas or Easter or, or, or whatever, that's not beholding. Okay? That's a one night stand. That's not a marriage. That's not a relationship. So, and then last week we wanted to talk about, no, I'm sorry, the week before, subtle beguilement. And we're going to be picking back in on this again today, too. But Satan, because his message is so foundational, because his message is so key, in the same way that the, 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 the devil, the Satan, beguiled the bride of the first Adam, he's also wanting to beguile the bride of the, of the last Adam. See, Adam is called the first Adam. Jesus is called the last Adam, or the second Adam. There's two Adams, okay? And so the same way, and we are the bride of Christ. Just like Eve was the bride of Adam, we are the bride of the last Adam. And so the same way that the Satan wanted to beguile the bride of the first Adam, Satan wants to beguile us so that we are not, first of all, beholding who we are. That we are mis misconstrued of who we are and what we have in Christ. But when we are establishing righteousness, when we are establishing this love, <coughs> when we have the unity of the faith, when we are beholding the right message and the right identity of who we are, the enemy is not going to be beguiled so easily. And the enemy, when he beguiles us, he beguiles us subtly. It's subtle. And we're going to find, we found out last week, and we found out, we'll continue to find out the remainder of the message, that he will use scripture. He will use scripture. He will use specifically the law mostly to beguile us. And we're going to tap into this a little bit more this morning. Last week we talked about the testimony of Scripture. All Scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, correction, and righteousness. Okay? And I spent a lot of time, this is actually my favorite of the, of the eight lessons, this is actually my favorite that we talked about last week. And you'll have to listen to our recordings on that uh, in our archives on our website or our YouTube. But, <coughs> excuse me, you know, uh, and when we, when we talk about Scripture, I believe the New Testament is part of Scripture. But when Paul and Jesus, for example, are mentioning Scripture in their writings and in their messages, the New Testament didn't exist yet. So they were teaching the Gospel. They were preaching Christ from the Old Testament. And, and we, we saw a pretty good message. I mean, Jesus on the road to Emmaus, after he, was, after he rose from the dead, he spent a seven-hour walk, I mean, a seven-mile walk with two of the disciples, expounding on all of the scriptures concerning himself. He wasn't reading the letter of Paul. Paul hadn't started his ministry yet. Paul wasn't converted yet. 
Paul wasn't even born again yet. Okay, and so uh, he was using scripture to preach the gospel. He says this in John chapter five, verse thirty-nine. I think that's the verse. Because you you search the scriptures for you think in them that you have eternal life, but they the scriptures testify of me. The scriptures, Old and New Testament, testify of Jesus. If the scriptures you are reading don't testify of Jesus, then you have the wrong lens on. You have a veil over your face, which we've been talking about the last few weeks, which we'll talk about again this morning. So this week we're going to be uh, going back kind of almost back to week five, but a subtle blindness, and we're going to be piggybacking on this. Why am I spending so much time on this subtle blindness and beguilement? Because it's the devil's number one weapon. It's the number one thing he's wanting to do. How many of you know that when you are deceived, you don't know it? And he will use something called religion, Christian religion even, to blind us. And if you're blinded, you can't see properly. If you're blinded, you can't behold properly. If you're blinded, you are not established in righteousness. You are not established in his love the way that you need to. And if you're, not, if you're blinded, you are not in the unity of the faith. I'm not saying you're not born again. That's not what I'm necessarily saying. I'm not, automatically, I'm not automatically saying everyone's born again. But at the same point in time, I'm not, just because you are uh, deceived on some of these things doesn't mean you're not born again. And so uh, we'll get into some of that in just a moment, okay? So we're talking about subtle blindness. And so in talking about that, let's talk about religion for a moment, okay? I don't like this word, religion. It's actually one of my most, it's, it's, a, it's my least favorite word almost of anything. Because there's so much deception in religion. And I, let me explain myself, okay? See, most religions, and here I'm talking about not just Christianity, but a lot of religions, intend to do good. I, I'm not saying there's not, 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 I'm not saying all, I said most. There's many religions that tend to do good. Okay? In other words, and let me, let me take it a step further. Christian religion, and I'm going to explain myself, get, get, hear me out, it tends to be like Jesus. It tends to do good. Most religion, Christian religion, is not trying to revolt against God. It's trying to please God. But, there's a but in here. But, by our own means. Christian religion, and even other religions, are trying to do good, trying to appease God or their deity, maybe it's not God, and it's a different deity, but they're trying to please God by their own means, or by their own righteousness. The Bible calls your own righteousness self-righteousness. The Bible calls this in Isaiah 64, self-righteousness like filthy rags. In Romans chapter 10, Paul compares self-righteousness with true righteousness. He compares the two, okay? We need to be zealous for God, but not by our own righteousness. We need to be zealous for God based on His righteousness, okay? Christian religion intends to do good, but trusting yourself, Okay? You're trusting what you do to please God. You're tr do, trusting yourself to be saved. You're trusting you, what you do to be holy and to be right and to be good. We want, at the same point in time, we want to be right. We want to be good. We want to be holy. I do teach that. I preach that with, to, with my heart's content. But at the same point in time, I am not trusting myself. 
Jeremiah, God says in Jeremiah 17, if I trust myself, that's a curse. Okay? I'm not trusting myself. True Christianity is not a religion. True Christianity is a relationship trusting God. It's a relationship with God trusting Him. Because the just, the righteous, lives by His faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And Paul says in Romans 14, whatever is not of faith is sin. That whatever includes everything. Anything that's not of faith, anything that, that you are trusting you or someone else is sin. Or maybe the faith is not, there's no faith there at all. Anything that's not of faith is sin. Now, I, don't get mad at me. I didn't say it. Paul said it. Okay? Romans 1 that's why I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Verse 17, for therein is the righteousness of God. <coughs> me. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by his faith. There's a lot in here. We've unpacked it a lot of this already. But right now I'm just highlighting that that anything that's not of faith is sin. And the, the gospel reveals the rights of God from faith to faith. It's a faith. It's not of the law. The law is not a faith. Paul talks about that. Okay? It's a faith. If it's not a faith, none of us can be saved. None of us. Okay? As it is written, the just shall live by his faith. The just, the righteous, lives by This is how we live. Paul said this way in Galatians, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There's that love again. We talked about this verse in later. So anything that's not of faith is sin. Now let me switch gears here a little bit. Let's talk about the law for a moment. We're talking about religion a little bit. I didn't go into all detail about that. But we're not about religion. We're about a relationship with God. It's, about, it's based on faith in God. Faith in His gospel. Faith in what He did to make me right with God. It's not faith in what I do to make myself right with God. If I can make myself right with God, then I don't need Jesus. That is Antichrist. Antichristo means instead of or against Christ. If I'm preaching a message or believing a message that I can be righteous and holy instead of through Christ... That is Antichrist. I'm not saying you are the Antichrist, but that is an Antichrist message. That is a different gospel. That is a different message. That is not the gospel of Christ. But the law, let's talk about the law for a moment. The law is holy. Okay? I'm going to say some things about the law. I'm not bashing the law. The law is holy. And the law is good. What made it holy and good? The blood of Jesus. You can read about that in Hebrews chapter 9 and also in the book of Leviticus. You can you see that the, the law, what, how did the law become holy? It was sprinkled by the blood. There's only one thing that can make anything holy, and that is the blood of Jesus. You cannot get holy anything else, by any way else. Okay? We preach holiness, but it's the fruit of holiness. It's not the root. You can only become holy by Jesus. If you're trying to become holy by your own means, by what you do, your faith is what you do, and anything that's not a faith is sin. 
trying to become holy on your own instead of faith in Jesus is sin. And sin does not make you holy. Okay? And so the law cannot make you holy. The law is good. Let's go back. The law is holy. The law is good. But the law can't make you holy. The law can't make you good. It does not have that capacity. It was not created for that purpose. The law reveals your sin. The law is the ministry of condemnation. It's the ministry of death. Paul said this in Romans, Therefore by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. You cannot be justified. De what justified? You cannot be declared righteous by the law. No flesh will be justified by in his sight. The law is your schoolmaster. Paul talked about this in Galatians chapter 3. It's your schoolmaster to bring you to Christ. It can't save you, but it can lead you. It can hold you by the hand to bring you to your Savior. That makes sense? It's your schoolmaster. But it cannot save you. It can only bring you to Christ. It can only reveal your sin going backwards so that you can know that you need a Savior. And why, why is that true? The law is revealing how messed up you are so you don't trust yourself. You can't fix it. You can't make it right. You can't save yourself. The, the law is going to magnify your, your sin. The law is to show you how wrong you are and how, how, uh, how dead you are without Christ. Why are you doing that? So that you don't trust yourself. But that you trust a Savior whose name is Jesus. Okay, let's go forward back to where we are. Let's switch gears again. Let's talk about corrupting minds. Now, a lot of what I'm sharing so far this morning, I've already covered. But I'm, 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 we're in week seven. Next week's our last week. I'm trying to bring this towards ahead. Okay? Corrupting minds. We talked a lot about this the last couple weeks. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a trace version to Christ. But I fear that somehow as, as the serpent deceived Eve, the bride of the first Adam, by his craftiness, his subtlety, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Paul fears that we, the church, that our minds would be corrupted from the simplicity in Christ. Who's corrupting our minds? The enemy. The enemy wants to corrupt your minds from the simplicity that's in Christ. It's simple. The simplicity. It's not complicated. We've made it, religion has made it complicated. But God has not. We think there's more to it. We think, well, the gospel is true, but we need to add our, our, our butt in there. We need to add something else into it. By doing that, we pollute it. By doing that, we make it of no effect. We're going to get into that. Okay? Let's, let's read this passage. For if, if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom you have not, we have not preached, or you receive <coughs> a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may put up with it. And there's a lot of people under the name of Christianity, even, who have put up with doctrines that... that 
have corrupted your minds. Paul gives us some very strong language here. I fear that the same way that Eve was deceived, you're going to be deceived. That your mind is going to be corrupted the same way Eve's mind was corrupted. What happened when Eve's mind was corrupted? He, she got Adam involved and took down the whole human race. The whole human race is, had been born in sin because of how Eve and then Adam were deceived. Eve deceived, Adam rebelled. Okay. I, so don't think I'm just picking on Eve. Okay. But anyway, let's move forward. The same way Satan beguiled Eve, Satan wants to beguile you. Okay? Satan wants to corrupt your mind. Satan wants to deceive you. Okay, that's what we're talking about. This might not be a warm, fuzzy, feeling message, but it's a necessary message. Okay? Because this is serious stuff. Okay? Do you think the deception that Eve went through was serious? Okay? Well, it's serious. Satan's number one thing, yes, he wants to kill, still destroy. But he just killing your body is not enough. He wants to kill your soul. He wants to be God. He wants to corrupt your mind. Okay? And deceive you. He's already been defeated at the cross. But he can still deceive you. I want to say here. But anyway, let's switch gears one more time. Let's talk about false justification. Or in other words, false righteousness. There's another way of saying this. Okay? Romans chapter 3, verse 20. Therefore, we read this already this morning, therefore by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. You cannot be justified in God's sight by the law. I don't care what any preacher says. I don't care what any man says. It, their word doesn't hold any value against God's. Let God be true and every man a liar. Okay? By the deeds of the law, by what you do, by keeping the law, you cannot be justified. You cannot be declared righteous in His sight. The law cannot justify you. No flesh is justified by the law. The law reveals sin. It does not reveal Jesus. It leads you to Jesus, but it does not reveal Jesus. Okay? Let's take this a step further. Galatians 5.4 You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by falling. <coughs> Excuse me. You have fallen from grace. Falling from grace is not some big sin. Anything that's not of faith is sin. We've established that this morning. But try attempting. You can't be justified by the law, but you in your corrupted mind can attempt to be justified by the law. And if you in your corrupted mind attempt to be justified by the law, you are estranged from Christ. The King James says, way, you have made Christ of no effect unto you. This is some strong language. And you think some of us, through Christian religion, think that we're justified because we keep the law, but we have actually made Christ of no effect. We're deceived. This is what deception looks like. 
is deception. You think you're okay, you think you're justified by keeping the law, but you are actually made Christ of no effect. You've actually been estranged from Christ. You become estranged from Christ by attempting to be justified by the law. Christ becomes of no effect to you by attempting to be justified by the law. Falling from grace is attempting to be justified by the law. Anything that's not of faith is sin. The just lives by his faith, but you're not just if you're trying to be just by the law. And when, I'm, I'm using some strong language here because I want us to get this. Okay? I'm a pastor. I'm a teacher. I'm not trying to get warm, fuzzy feelings here. I'm trying to preach the truth. You should know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Am I making sense this morning? Let's go to Galatians real quick. Paul said this in Galatians 2. We read 2.20 earlier, but let's read two, but the next verse. I do, Paul, uh, Paul, I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. If you can become righteous through the law, then Christ died in vain. That is anti-Christo message. Are you seeing how wrong trying to be justified by the law is? You're telling me by doing that in your attempt, in your mind, in your proclamation, you're saying that Christ died in vain. That is so anti-Christ to the highest court. That by, again, I started off by saying religion intends to do good. Most people who think this way are not trying to revolt from God. They're not trying to be in strange God. They're trying to please God. They're trying to be right with God. But they have fallen from grace. And they, their, their message, they're twisted. And Satan loves it. The gospel is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. But you're not, if you believe this, you're not believing the gospel. You're believing what you do. And you have, you have fallen from his grace so the power of God cannot work in your life. Not because God's playing favorites. Not because God doesn't want to. Because you're not believing the gospel. You're believing your own message. In other words, you have made a God unto yourself. By trying to become saved by what you do instead of what Jesus said. And in one word, you have made yourself a God. You might not think about it that way. And I'm not trying to, to hurt anyone's feelings, but I am trying to knock over some sacred cows. Okay? And so, attempting to be justified by the law frustrates his grace. Attempting to be justified by the law voids the cross of God in your life. But we need to be whole. We need to see with the mind who we are. We talked several weeks, and I'm going to deal with it again this morning, the veil of the law. It's a veil. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3.14, but their minds were blinded. We're talking about the subtle blindness. That's what we were talking about this morning. Their minds were blinded, but until this day, the same veil remains. This, <coughs> I'm getting too excited here. But until this day, what day? This day. The day. The same bell remains. It didn't go anywhere. 
and lifted in the reading of the Old Testament. That's a law. Because the veil is taken away in Christ. If you're not believing Christ, but you're believing what is under the veil, then you've been... If you're attempting to be saved by the law, you have fallen from grace. You have... You made the cross of no effect. You crashed out in vain. And so the, the same veil remains. You don't have an unveil. You, you are still blinded. Okay? The only way to remove this veil, the only way to remove this blindness, is to preach Christ. But even to this day, when Moses, the law is read, a veil lies on their hearts. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. We've taken this verse out of context, and it, it can apply in many of those contexts. But he's talking about a veil being removed. He's talking about our eyes that were blinded now being opened so we can see. That's freedom. In Galatians chapter 3 and 4 and also in Romans chapter 8, Paul talks about how the law is bondage. Bondage is not freedom. And a lot of people under religion, they are actually in bondage under a veil and not free. In context, in verses 7 through 9, Paul already said that the, the ministry of the Spirit is a ministry of righteousness. Righteousness will lead you to freedom. Being under the law will lead you to bondage. And, in other words, if you are still under the law, this veil, this bondage, this blindness is still there. It can only be removed one way. That's what the first message we talked about, the unity of the faith. There's one message that can remove this veil and open your eyes, and that is Christ, the ministry of righteousness that can set you free. We talk about being lost, and we talk about being bound. We talk about sinners being lost, but there's a lot of Christians today, because they're blinded, they are lost too. Because their, their, their faith is in themselves, not Christ. They're not believing the gospel. They're believing a different gospel. Okay? And I'm not saying this to hurt you. I'm saying this to set you free. Okay? I see a lot of posts on Facebook that is nothing but a veil. People are putting their faith in what they do. I'm all about holiness, righteousness, and godly living. But the grace of God will teach you to live godly. Holiness and the fruit of righteousness is a fruit. It's not the root. If you don't get the foundation right, you will not have the fruit. And even if you could live a holy life without Christ, anything that's not a faith is sin. All of that self-righteousness is nothing but filthy rags and is nothing but sin because it wasn't a faith. You cannot become holy because you keep the law. No flesh is justified by keeping the law. 
Okay? Seeing through the lens of the law is blindness of the mind. Seeing through the lens of the law is blindness of the mind. Seeing through the law is a bell that... Seeing through the law... Seeing through the lens of the law is... Uh, I, I said this wrong. Is a bell over your heart. It's a bell. It's blinding you. The bell is only removed by preaching Christ. The bell is only removed by preaching the cross. The bell is only removed by preaching the gospel. And the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. Okay? But we all, we just, we stopped at verse 17, but we all with an unveiled face. How do we have an unveiled face? By preaching Christ. And we, if we, if our faith is unveiled, we are no longer blind. Beholding, we were blind before. When you're blind, you can't behold anything. Tell me, a blind person, what they see? They can see with the mind. But I'm talking about mind blindness. Mind blindness, you can't see nothing. Okay, but you, the only way you can behold anything is because you have an unveiled faith. Beholding as in the mirror, the mirror of God's word, the glory of the Lord. What's the glory? In context, he said the glory of the Lord was the ministry of righteousness, the ministry of his spirit. Are being transformed, metamorpho, into the same image. What image? The image that we're beholding. What image are we beholding in the mirror? The mirror is God's word. We're beholding Christ. We're seeing Christ. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We're seeing Jesus in the mirror. And we're transformed from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord. <coughs> Let me say it this way. True transformation is beholding His glory, not your glory. Are you boasting and you're keeping the law? Then you are glorying in yourself. You're not glorying in God. That is Antichrist, folks. The true transformation is beholding His glory in the mirror with an unveiled face. True transformation is beholding his glory of righteousness. How can I say that? Because Paul said that. He was comparing the glory of the, of the law with the glory of the ministry of righteousness, the ministry of his spirit. He said the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory than the glory of the law. He was comparing glories. And true transformation is beholding his glory of righteousness. I keep referring to it. Let's go back to it again. But the ministry of death written on in great stones. There's only one message that was on great stones. That's the law. It's called the ministry of death. It was glorious. I never said the law wasn't glorious. So that the children of Israel could not look steady at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away. The law is glorious, but that glory is passing away. How will the ministry of the Spirit, he's comparing this ministry with this ministry, okay? His ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious. <coughs> the ministry of the Spirit is more glorious than the ministry of death. For the ministry of condemnation had glory, past tense, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. There's two different kinds of ministries being spoken here. The ministry of condemnation and death compared to the ministry of righteousness and the Spirit. Both had glory. 
One glory is passing away. The other, other is much more glorious. It's more glorious. I want the more glorious one. Okay? And with that in mind, true transformation is beholding how God sees us. Righteous. Because we're looking into the mirror. A mirror is a self-reflecting device. When we're seeing how God sees us. We are the righteous of God in Him. And when we behold that, that means the veils are lifted. You cannot see how God sees you with a veiled face. But when you see the gospel, you'll see how God sees you. And you will be transformed into that same image. I don't care how Satan sees me. I don't care how you see me. In one sense, I don't care how I see myself. I care how God sees me, and I need to see myself the way God sees me. Because how many of you know your word doesn't cut it when it comes to God? God is the just, just, and justifying us. Okay? So let's talk about the gospel. In Romans 1, we said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God. The gospel... <coughs> of Christ, I know there's different gospels, but we're talking about the gospel of Christ, is, not going to be, not can be, not should be, but is the power of God unto salvation. That's why I like the King James. Unto salvation. What's salvation? Wholeness. Healing. Deliverance. Prosperity. I'm going to do a message in January on salvation. Okay? Salvation at its core is a relationship with God. Okay, I'm going to talk about more. I don't want to get off on a tangent right now. What power of God is about salvation to everyone that believes it. If you believe, there's faith. Anything that's not of faith is sin. If you don't believe the gospel, you're still in sin. Okay? For therein, therein what? The gospel is the righteousness of God revealed. The righteousness of God is revealed by the gospel. From faith to faith has been the justice of the By faith. See, the gospel... The gospel reveals the righteousness of God, but the law, according to Romans 3, reveals sin. The gospel reveals your righteousness, and the law reveals your sin. I kind of got these up here, but I got them backwards, okay? Seen through the lens of the law is blindness of the mind. We've established this already. I'm recapping a few things here. Seen through the lens of the law veils your heart. And the veil is only removed by preaching the gospel. But a veil gospel blinds those who are perishing. If we don't preach this gospel to the world, and we can't preach it if we don't believe it ourselves, we won't preach it if we don't believe it. We'll preach a different gospel. You know, there was a time in my life where I was preaching a different gospel because I believed the wrong message. I was teaching that a gospel performance. It was wrong. It was wrong. Okay? And, and so I was preaching the wrong message. But if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Not only are we blinded because we're believing the wrong message or not believing the right message, but because, because it's veiled, it's also veiled to those who are perishing. If we don't believe the gospel, we will not preach it, and we don't preach it, and we don't preach the right gospel, 
they will not hear it. And they will not be saved. We need to believe it so that we can be uh, free, but we need to believe it so we can preach the right message so they can be free. But if our gospel is veiled, you see, you need to you need to look beyond your own circle. You need to see the world. If you can believe the gospel, you can preach the gospel and save the world. God doesn't want to just save you. God wants to save the world, but God wants to use you. But God can't use you the way he wants to use you if you are not believing the gospel that reveals his right. If your vision is veiled, your, your message will be veiled, and you will not save Am I making sense? Okay. I had a couple of puzzles with, so I didn't I want to make sure I didn't say something wrong. Okay. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. There's people who are perishing. And I'm not just talking about going to hell. There's people who are sick. There's people who have diseases. There's people who are having issues. And we have the gospel that can heal them, that can set them free, that can make them prosperous, that can... Give them wholeness in their lives. But if we're not preaching it because we don't believe it, and we don't see it, then we're not going to preach it and we can't set them free. People are perishing when they don't need to be. Christ already died for the world. Okay? But let's, we're still talking about subtle blindness. Verse 4 says, Whose mind is the God of this age? Who's the God of this age? Lord G. We're not talking about God. We're talking about Satan. Satan has blinded people's minds, whose minds the God has blinded, who do not believe. Satan is blinding people's minds. We're still in the same context where we were talking earlier. We're just a few verses later. Different chapter, but really we're just a, a, a less than ten verses away. Who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Okay? We're supposed to shine. We're the light of the world. We're supposed to shine the gospel. The gospel is not an it. The gospel is a who. But there's a lot here. I've touched on this verse many times before. But I'm trying to emphasize right now that Satan is blinding people's minds from not believing the gospel. And because of that, they're perishing. Okay, go back. Satan has blinded the minds of those who do not believe the gospel. And Satan has used the law to blind the minds of those who do not believe the gospel. Now that, that's going to step on some sacred cows here. But let's, 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 let's move over with our cow tipping here. Okay? The gospel is the light of the glory of Christ. Did we not just read that in 2 Corinthians 4 4? God commanded light to shine out of darkness. He says this in verse 5. But we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bond servants for Jesus' sake. For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. For we have this treasure in earthen vessels. That the excellence of the power may be of God, not of us. The gospel is the power of God. And we have the light of the gospel on the inside of us. We have the power of God on the inside of us. We are the light of the world. Jesus said this in the book of Matthew. We are the light of the world. 
The earth is filled with His glory. The word earth means speaking of people. We are the people of God, and we are filled with His glory. Okay? Our ministry is to preach the light of the gospel. How did I know this? Because this verse is right in the middle of everything we just read. Therefore, since we have this ministry, what ministry? He just spoke about it a few verses earlier. This is chapter 4, verse 1, and chapter 3, verse 7, 9, the ministry of righteousness, the ministry of the Spirit. Since we have this ministry, he didn't change subjects. He's still on the same topic. As we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. We have a ministry. It's called the ministry of righteousness. It's called the ministry of the Spirit. In chapter 5, he'll call it the ministry of reconciliation. I have a lot of people listening. Some call themselves pastors, evangelists, uh, bishops, whatnot. I'm a pastor. There's many other pastors. Actually, in chapter 3, verse uh, 6, he says, We are all able ministers in the new covenant. He said that in context. We are all able ministers. But if you have a ministry, and your ministry is not interested in preaching the gospel, I have no interest in your ministry. Okay? I have no interest in what you want to talk about. Because I, time is short, folks. And there's one ministry. We have the unity of the faith to preach one message. And that is the gospel of Christ that will set people free. Because there's no other message that will set people free than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our ministry is a ministry of righteousness. Our ministry is a ministry of the Spirit, the ministry of reconciliation. Now, I want to switch gears here. Everything I just said, I'm going to bring back into the equation. But I want to talk about lukewarm blindness. Let's go to the book of Revelation, chapter 3. And in, 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 in Revelation chapter 3, Revelation chapter 2 or 3, Jesus is dealing with seven churches. The last church is the church of Laodicea, and it's what I consider the church in its worst condition. This church is, is lukewarm. We call it the lukewarm church. In Revelation chapter 3, we'll pick it up, verse 14. <coughs> Let me read the entire context of this church, and then we'll go back and talk about some things. And to the angel of the church, he's talking to a church. He's not talking to the world, he's talking to a church. But the Laodiceans write these things, say, it says, the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of creation of God. He says, I know your works. He says this about all seven churches. All seven churches, he says, I know your works. That you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. But then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. We'll come back to that in just a moment. Verse 17. Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. We'll come back to that phrase. And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind. Are we talking about subtle blindness? And naked. Verse 18. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich and white garments. That speaks of righteousness. That you may be clothed with that clothes. That the shame of your nakedness, that's, that's without Christ, may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes and eyesalves that you may see. We're talking about subtle blindness. We'll come back to this. Verse 19. 
as, I, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous. <coughs> Excuse me, repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Verse 21. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. And I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. We'll come back to that in just a moment. Let's go back and I want to cover a couple things. Verse 15. He says, I know your works. Okay? He knows what we've done. We're not talking about Santa Claus. We're talking about Jesus, our King, our Master. He knows our works. Okay? Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden when they partook of the forbidden fruit. But Jesus said, those who are lukewarm, he will vomit out. Very similar. Okay, now you see my similarity? One's cast out, one's vomited out. Okay? Romans 3.20 says this, we just covered this, no, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in sight. You cannot be justified by keeping the law. We also said, in 1 Corinthians 15.50, we certainly looked at this in previous lessons, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. If you are trusting what you're doing, then you are standing before God in your own flesh and blood. That's nakedness. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. If you are believing what you did to be saved and not what Jesus did to be saved, that's flesh and blood that is not born again. Am I making myself clear? Okay? Jesus said it this way to Nicodemus. Jesus answered and said to him, Nicodemus, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time to his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. Flesh and blood, flesh and blood is not born again. We are born again. We are not, Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter, uh, uh, Corinthians chapter 5, we, are, we no longer recognize one another as flesh. We are born again. Church, we need to see, we need to behold. Lesson four. We need to behold. We are born again. You are either fresh and blood or you are born of God. You can't be both. You're either a child of Adam or you're a child of the last Adam. You either married to Christ, you're either one flesh with him, you're either born again. You're either saved or you're not. You're either in Christ or you're out of Christ. You're either the righteous of God or you're self-righteous, and that is not the righteousness of God. Okay? Matthew 9, 17 says, Nor do they put new wine in old wineskins, or else the wineskins will break. The wine is spoiled and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into New wineskins and both are preserved. He's, he talked about covenants. He talked about mixing the covenants. 
We put the new wine of the new covenant into new wineskins. We are born again, but we are new creations in Christ Jesus. God did not put his new wine in old wineskins. We are put off the old man, and in the spirit of our mind, we have put on the new man who is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 to 24 is what I just quoted. Let's take this back to Revelation. Because you say, I am rich and become wealthy. Operative word right here is I. I have become rich. I have become wealthy. I have need of nothing. Jesus said, apart from me, you can't do anything anyway. And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, <coughs> poor, blind, and naked. I can, I can capitalize on every aspect of what I'm saying. But th this person is basically saying, I don't need God. He's talking to a church that says, I don't need anything. But they're blind. We're talking about subtle blindness. They don't know that they're wretched, they're miserable, they're poor, they're blind, and they're naked. That's called spiritual blindness. They don't know that they are miserable or wretched. They don't know that they're miserable. They don't know that they're poor. They don't know that they're blind. They don't even know that they're naked. Okay? But he says, I counsel you to buy from me. They can't get it from anywhere else but him. Go, refine in the fire, that you may be rich in white garments. White garments speaks of righteousness. I can bring out tons of scripture that talks about these white garments. Ephesians chapter 5, he has clothed us. He has sanctified us. He has cleansed us. He's a re Revelation chapter 19 and verse 20 talks about how we are arrayed with right garments. That you may be, I talk about the prodigal son. He was putting new garments on him, okay? And you may be clothed. That's the shame of your nakedness. Were we sinners? Yes. Were we wretched? Were we blind? Were we miserable? Yes. But we've been clothed with the righteousness of God in white raiment that he may, may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with eye salve so that you may see. We're talking about subtle blindness. And God, our Savior, Jesus Christ, he wants to anoint our eyes so that we can see. We already talked about where did the blindness come from? The law. It corrupted our minds. Satan has corrupted our minds until we don't believe the gospel. And we're blind. It's spiritual blindness. And there's only one way to remove this veil. There's only one eye sound. And that's the gospel. Christ. Because Christ is the gospel. Second Corinthians 4 4. It's a who? And when you preach Christ, this veil is removed so that you can see. Okay? White garments speak of righteousness. Anoint your eyes with a true revelation so you can see. Isaiah 61 says, Instead of shame, you shall have. Double honor. Instead of confusion, they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess double. I forget why I was going to go here. But let's go to, back to Revelation real quick. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. 
Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I love this. <coughs> I love this. Many of us have used this scripture to speak to the lost. And I'm not saying that that's even inappropriate. I think that's okay. But he's talking to the church. He's not talking to the lost. He's talking to the church. The church in its worst condition. But he's talking to the church. And to the church in its worst condition, he did not leave. When Adam sinned, did God hide from Adam or did Adam hide from God? Adam hid from God. God never hid. God never removed himself from Adam. Adam hid from God. The church that's lukewarm, the church that's, that's in its worst condition, the church that he says, unless you repent, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. He's standing at the door knocking. Jesus did not abandon his church. The church has shut his door on him. This church, anyway. He says, anyone who hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. He wants to fellowship with us. To the church in its worst condition, the lukewarm church, he wants to come in and have a relationship. Righteousness is a right relationship with God. You cannot have a relationship with God if you have sin in your life, if you're not born again. Because if you're not born again, you can't enter the kingdom of God. You can't even see the kingdom of God, Jesus said. Flesh and blood cannot enter the kingdom of God. Jesus is not going to come into a flesh and blood church. He's coming to a redeemed church. That he's redeemed by his blood. And he's standing at the door and he is knocking. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on the throne. Not only is he knocking on the door of a church. Not only does he want to come and dine with us. But he says if we overcome, we'll sit with him on his throne. I mean, you can't get more promoted than that. We ridicule this church, and yes, they need to repent, and yes, they got it all wrong. But he's, he's offering, he's, he, Jesus, our King, our Redeemer, says he will, will sit with him on his throne. We're not going to be put in some dungeon. We're going to sit on the throne. He says, in the same way I overcame and sat with my, my father's throne, you can sit with me on my throne. This is, I mean, if you really understand what he's saying, this is phenomenal. This is good news. Good news is the gospel. See, the lukewarm church is invited to change. Go repent. Change your mind. And by changing your mind, you change your actions. The lukewarm church is invited to see. They're blind. They're naked. That's why you invite them to be clothed. The lukewarm church is invited to fellowship with Christ. The lukewarm church is invited to sit with Christ on his throne. The big question though is how? How does this happen? By overcome by the blood of the Lord. If you overcome, how do you overcome? You can over you can only overcome one way. There's one message, and that is by the blood of the Lamb. You cannot overcome by your good deeds. By the deeds of the law, no flesh is justified. Those who attempt to be justified by the law, you estrange yourself from Christ. 
but when you overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of your testimony. What's your testimony? I have been redeemed. I'm the righteous of God. He took my sin as far as the east is from the west. I was lost. I was naked. I was miserable. I was poor and blind. But I am a child of God. I am born again. That's a testimony. So many people share their motive and not their testimony. I don't want to hear about who you were. I want to hear about what Jesus did. I don't want to hear about all the junk you were in. I don't want to hear about all the garbage you did. You can share me a little bit so I can kind of get a taste of where you were. But I want to hear what Jesus did. That's a testimony. I don't want to hear all the gunk you did. I want to hear what Jesus did with your gunk. That's a testimony. And you should receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you should be witnesses of me, Jesus said. What? You're supposed to testify of Jesus, not your gunk. Because I'm not going to put my faith in your gunk. Yeah, anyway, i got to get off that soapbox. Romans 5, 17. For if by one man's offense, that's Adam, death reigned, through the one, much more, those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, it's a gift. You can't earn it. Will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. We can sit with him on his throne. We can reign in life through Jesus. Paul said it this way in Ephesians. And raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Same language. I'm almost out of time here. Let's switch gears for a moment. Take heed what you hear. Let's go to Matthew 13 real quick. We have the parable of the sower being shared here. I'm not going to necessarily read all of this. But the parable of the sower is read in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We're going to look at Matthew's version of this story. And we'll pick up verse 10. And the disciples came and said to him, Jesus, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered and said to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to them it has not been given. See, we are supposed to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Not the world. But we are supposed to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Verse 12. For whoever has to him more will be given. And he, he will have abundance in whatever. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. In other words, many do not see. And if you don't see, you are blind. Many are blind. Many are dull of hearing. Many do not understand. Verse 14. And in, in them, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, hearing you will hear, and shall not understand. And seeing you will see, and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, and their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. Verse 16. But blessed are your eyes, for they see. We're talking about subtle blindness. 
and your ears for what they hear. If you can see and you can hear, and I'm talking spiritually speaking here, you are blessed. For surely I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see and did not see it, and hear to hear what you did and did not hear. The prophets that we marvel desire to see and hear what we see and hear. And there's many people among us who don't see and hear and understand. But blessed are those who do see. We're talking about subtle blindness. And we're tying this into our topic of talking about being established in righteousness. We are blessed because we see. We are blessed because we hear. Go to verse 18 real quick. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. This when anyone hears the word of God of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one, that's the devil, who's trying to corrupt our minds, deceive us, comes and snatches away what's, what's sown in his heart. This is he who is seized by the wayside. But he who receives the seed in, in stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy that he has no root, he's not established in himself, but endures for a while. But when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who sees the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and cares of the world, and the seed will the riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. But verse 23. But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it. Okay? All four kinds heard the word, but only one understood it. It is who indeed bears fruit and produces some 160 and 30 full. So 30 wrong. Okay? I'm going to come back to this real quick, but let's, let's, let's go off on a tangent here. Let me add something else to the equation. We need to hear what the Spirit says to the church. Jesus said this seven times in all seven churches in the book of Revelation, and he says it also here. The same thing that he said to the seven churches, he says in this parable. Okay? Verse 9. He says, He who had ears to hear, let him hear. He's, in Mark's version, he said the same thing. If everyone has ears to hear, let him hear. In the book of Revelation, in all seven churches, he said, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay? I just want to establish that. That's a, that's a point that I'm trying to make in the middle of all of this. Let's go, let's, not, but nothing's hit. Let's go to Mark's version of the story of the parable of the sower. Okay? He said, Also he said to them, Is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not to be set on a lampstand? For there is nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor anything been kept secret but that which should come to the light. This is verses 21 to 22. And it's in this context that he says, If anyone who has ears, let him hear. Let him hear. Okay? And then verse 24, Then he said to them, Take heed what you hear. With what measure you use it, it will be measured to you. And you who hear, more will be given. For whoever has, to him more will be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. There's a lot here. I'm not going to go all detail with everything that's being said, both here in Matthew and Mark. But just bear with me. I'm trying to make some major points right now. 
But I need to get this context out here so I can make the point. A candle is to be on a candlestick, not hidden. Can we agree with that? Okay. God commanded light to shine out of darkness. 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 5, 4. We also see this in Genesis 1, 1. Okay. God commanded light to be out of darkness. We are the light of the world. Okay. The earth is filled with his glory. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of God and not of us. Our ministry is to preach the light of the gospel. He calls it the light of the gospel in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, which we've read several times over the last few weeks. Going back to Mark real quick. Also, he said to them, is a lamp brought back to put under a basket or put under a bed? Is it not to be on a lampstand? <coughs> For there is nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor is there anything kept secret that should come to light. The gospel will be revealed. There's no more veil. It's been lifted in Christ. There's nothing hidden. There are no more secrets. There's no blindness. There's no more mystery. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. And it's in this context that Jesus said in Mark's version, he says it this way, take heed what you hear. And in Luke's version, he says, take heed how you hear. Take heed what you hear, and take heed how you hear it. Folks, my message, I'm, I, as, I'm pre as I'm bringing Lesson 7 to a conclusion, we've been talking about subtle blindness in the context of talking about being established in his righteousness. We need to take heed what we listen to, and we need to take heed of how we hear it. Jesus said regarding the parable of the sower, <coughs> this is the parable of all parables. If you can't understand this parable, you can't understand any of the parables. Church, church, we need to take heed what we are listening to. There are a lot of good meaning pastors out there, ministries, they mean well, but they're teaching religion. And it is corrupting your minds. I started off by saying most Christian religion is not trying to do wrong, but they are speak, they are re preaching the wrong message. I'm not saying this about every pastor, every teacher. I used to teach the wrong message. Okay? And I'm not saying there's a perfect pastor or teacher out there. We are all going from glory to glory, from faith to faith, from grace to grace. But if the foundation is wrong, everything they teach on that foundation will be have a wrongness to it. We need to take heed what we are listening to. And we need to take heed of how we listen. There's some stuff in our lives, there's some stuff on Facebook, there's some stuff and I'm in, in the media. We need to keep it out of our system. Jesus said, take hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. He said it over ten times. And we need to take heed what we hear and how we hear it. I'm not saying this to hurt you. I'm not saying to be mean. I'm not even saying you have to listen to me. But you need to take heed what you are hearing and how you are hearing it. 
Because some of us are hearing the right stuff, but we're not listening. We, we, we're there, but we're not there. We're not taking it seriously. And some of us, we are listening to some good stuff, but we're listening to the bad stuff too. And it's mixing. And you're putting old wine, you're putting new wine in old whiskeys, and you're ruining both. It's lukewarm. And some of us are loyal to some pastors and teachers we've been listening to because we're loyal to them. And I commend your loyalty for loyalty's sake. But we need to keep what we hear and how we hear it. I can't say this strong enough. The spirit of the mind. Let's talk about this real quick. But ye have not so learned Christ. If so, ye be have heard him and have been taught by him. As the truth is in Jesus that ye put off concerning the old man which is corrupt according to deceitful lust. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man which is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. But we all, with an unveiled face, beholding as in the mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just by the Spirit of the Lord. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, to which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove with that good, acceptable, and perfect of God. There's a lot here in conclusion that I'm trying to bring out in these past scriptures that I just read from in Romans and also Corinthians and Ephesians. There's something that we need to so learn. There's something that we need to be so saturated, established in. There's a truth in Jesus that we need to so learn. That is putting off the old man and putting on the new man in, in the spirit of our mind. Our, some of our minds have been so corrupted that we, have, we need to repent, change our minds. And, and in the spirit of our mind, put off the old man and put on a new man. Who is created according to God and true righteousness? If you're trying to become truly righteous and holy by what you do, instead of putting on the new man who is Christ and wake up who he did, he did, you are doing the same thing he did in the garden. I want to say that again. If your minds are blinded and corrupted because of the law, and you are trying to become truly righteous and holy because of what you do, instead of putting on the new man, Jesus, who is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness, then you are trying to become righteous based on what you did instead of who Jesus is on the inside of you. And you are doing the same thing that Eve did in the garden. Adam and Eve were already created in the likeness of God. Satan told them that if they partake of the food, they will become like God. They already were like God. They tried to become something they already were and their own means. And instead of you putting on the new man who created going right and true righteousness and holiness, you're trying to become truly righteous and holy by what you did instead of putting on what he did, then you are doing the same thing that Eve did in the garden. Your mind is corrupted. It is not renewed. Am I making sense? That's why he says, but our, we need to take off the veil. And we need to behold in the mirror the glory of God. Not the glory of the law. That is the condemnation of death and, 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 and the ministry of condemnation and ministry of death. But we need to be transformed into the same image from glory to glory. From the glory of the old covenant to the glory of the new covenant. 
by the Spirit of God, by the ministry of the Spirit, by the ministry of righteousness. God, I mean, Paul beseeches us, brethren, the church, sisters, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable of God, which is your reasonable service. What, only one thing can make you holy and acceptable, and that is the blood of Jesus. Without faith, nothing pleases God. And anything that's not of faith, it says, if you do not put your faith in Jesus, there's nothing you can do that is going to be holy and something to God. Your ser service without believing in Jesus is not reasonable. Because Paul said, you're estranged from Christ, you who attempt to try to be justified by the law. That is not reasonable service. He says in Revelation 3, he will vomit you out of his mouth. Okay? It's falling from grace. We need, to, we need to know by the mercies of God who we are. And it's only by his mercies that we are saved. And do not be conformed to this world. We're not conformed to the mold of this world, Adam. Because being conformed to this world is still that you're still an Adam. But be transformed. Where do we get where it is for me? Well, we see it right here. By beholding his glory. We are transformed by the renewing of our mind. Not corrupted. Not blinded. But renewing our mind. That you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. There is no, there's no will of God that's going to be more perfect in will than knowing that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. How do you prove it? How do you prove it? You are a child of God. How do you prove it? Because you are born again by the blood of Jesus that speaks of better things than that of Abel. Well, uh, Hebrews chapter 12. The blood of Jesus that you are born again speaks and it's the proof that you are a child of God. You don't have to try to prove men. You don't have to try to prove the devil. God he says that your blood, if you're baptized into the blood of Jesus, you your blood speaks better things than that of Abel. Now you are a child of God. You might not understand all this, but God understands it. And even though he's a liar and deceiver, the devil understands this too. That's why he's trying to corrupt your minds from believing this. The good and acceptable, perfect will of God. You are not going to find any will that's acceptable, perfect, outside of believing on Jesus. You will not find another will. If you have a gospel that says, I guess you need to believe on Jesus, but you need to do this also, that you just polluted the gospel of Christ. Anytime you add your but into it and, and say, but, you got to do, yeah, that's true, but, no, I can't get by the other way. And we're going to be talking about next week, but now. But now. We're going to spend, as we conclude this whole teaching, there's something that's supposed to be happening now. Because all of this is true that I've been talking about, there's something that's supposed to be taking place now. Not just when Jesus comes, but now. We talked about cell blindness. Now we're going to get to the good stuff. I said everything I've said the last seven weeks to get to this message.
right here, but now. And this phrase is, you see it in several places, but my key place I'm going to see this is in Romans chapter 3, verse 21. But now, the righteous God without the law is revealed. It's manifested. It's manifested without the law. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets. And we, anyway, I hope this has been a blessing. I'm out of time. I'm, I'm out of uh, notes for today. Uh, we'll bring this back next week, and then in two weeks we'll have our Christmas message. God bless you guys. Uh, we'll see you soon.